everyone, I'm Rosanna and this is AFL Obsessed. I can't believe it's June already. <laughs> We're halfway into the season and I gotta admit, it kind of feels like a midterm exam at this point after the round 11 games where we're just checking up on our progress and where each team is at. The midseason draft also happened this week. So the AFL has moved games around. The fixture was finalized, I think, on Tuesday morning here. So the deja vu that I keep feeling from last year with all of the changes and adaptations and kind of having to just stay malleable because anything can change or happen. I mean, at least I don't have that coupled with an overwhelming sense of foreboding, I guess, when we just had no answers and like all of the questions. <laughs> but even if this seems like familiar territory, I feel like there are some equivalent or similar kind of vibes from previously. So there's no VFL currently in Victoria, and I think some of the teams have gotten pretty creative with their practices. But the AFL has been definitive that there is no chance of hub life. There will be no indefinite stays for multiple reasons, I think including a potential player exodus if that were to be implemented. And there's just no consideration for a footy frenzy like last season with the stacked games with very few or little breaks in between. And I mean, there's no way. We're back to 20-minute quarters now, so th that just wouldn't work. <laughs> and I know there's worry about preserving the integrity of the game as it stands, making sure that no teams get the home ground advantage, kind of, etc. So for those reasons, the game's you know, have been moved around and it's hard to keep track of all the rolling details. I think I say that pretty much every week, but these are kind of the things that keep me up at night and this like footy induced vampire life. And it's not the kind of keeping me guessing that I really want in this relationship, but it's not like any of us have a choice. So I think we're all just kind of collectively continuing to will the season to keep going. But let's get to it and dive into the opening overture of my overall thoughts on the week and where we're at now. So New York was the first state to issue a vaccine passport in the U.S. And Andrew and I actually used it to get into the Nets playoff game. It's just like an Excelsior app that we downloaded and it looks up your vaccine appointment and has a QR code that you can scan. So you don't have to worry about carrying your card around everywhere you go because I know that I was very, I was really worried about just losing it <laughs> and carrying it somewhere. And if you have to have it on you at all times, I was just worried that something would happen to it. You know, you can't really duplicate it. But more than a million people have downloaded it since it was launched. And I honestly just hope it gets adopted elsewhere in the country. And it's encouraging to think that more than half of American adults are fully vaccinated against covid though the rates actually vary widely by city and state. So it was a holiday weekend here in the U.S., and Memorial Weekend traffic numbers were off the charts. I mean, there was a record number of travelers on the road and with air travel, too. And I think one headline here called it the Great American Reunion. 
And Andrew and I didn't have the most eventful weekend. We just kind of wanted to chill while everyone else was traveling. We've been doing that quite a bit in the last few months, as you know. And so we just did a brunch with our friend that kind of lasted all day and did it turned into like another day drinking episode. I think this may or may not be the second time I've come on here to say that. But the weekend also, the weather was just kind of crappy. I mean, it basically rained the entire time. So it was nice to just kind of enjoy and not be on the move, as I said, since we've done that for the better part of the last year. There's also been a really interesting development here. So seven rural counties in Oregon are trying to secede from their state to join Idaho. And I have to say, since we drove through that entire area, like we know, I mean, I get that they feel different and there's not much differentiation between those areas that kind of want to join together. I mean, did I tell you that we drove through such random places I think there's a saying that like if you blink, you'll drive through it and you'll miss it. And I never really understood that, I guess, translated to a real place until we kind of drove through (laughs) some of these cities and states. There was absolutely a town that we drove through in Oregon, in rural Oregon, and it was a darling town called Gentura, I want to say. And we pulled up to a cafe, which was kind of like the only main place there. I'm always interested where people in rural places like get their groceries and gas. And there was a sweetest woman who worked there that was just extra chatty and super nice. And I couldn't help but think maybe she was just happy to see people. But the town has a population of 26, which is just very, very mind blowing to me. I mean, when you're coming from city life, I think we're at like Well, at one point, nine million something around there. So that was a very different feel. And I actually found out after we left that it was one of the locations that Pixar um, checked out during production to make like, I think, a movie called The Good Dinosaur. I haven't seen it. Maybe I maybe I want to now (laughs) because maybe they'll kind of showcase what the landscapes were like. But yeah, it's just a really interesting story that... um, I'm really interested to see what happens with all of that. And on the flip side, kind of shockingly, the COVID cases in Victoria have been on the rise. And so they've extended their lockdown for another week. And I think that will determine the future of the comp in the state, really. So we've yet to kind of find out what will happen. And I have to admit, I didn't think that we'd ever get to this point. It's interesting how we kind of keep swapping places with Melbourne where, you know, the restrictions have kind of lifted here and same for there for the longest time. And it's almost like there isn't a pandemic in the rest of the world sometimes. And then, you know, um, you get cases overnight. So, I mean, I'm thinking about all of you guys. I know that the lockdown hopefully will be over soon. And I know that things are loosening up here. But I mean, I also know that everything could change like, you know, within seconds and within days. So I just hope that everyone will be okay. And I hope that you get to vaccinating more peeps there. But now let's get to footy and on to act one with AFL headlines and highlights. And let's just hit those high notes. Remember when I said last week that Essendon's not being talked about? 
we were kind of getting like a foot, like a footnote. I almost said footy note on the shows in reference to something. So not even really about the team and the players and the games itself. Well, everyone everywhere now is Essendon at the moment after the game against West Coast and a great win. There was so much excitement surrounding that game. And now there's talk of like an Essendon renaissance, which is really exciting. And I have to admit the chat isn't even like, well, that was a great game, but you know, the opponent wasn't exactly in great shape, you know, overlooking like all of the changes and strategies that we've made and what's happening on and off the field. So I'm obviously aware of who we're playing this weekend, though, in the Dreamtime game, as I say all of this, but it was really great to see the Waterman brothers competing um, against each other in both of the sides for the at the same time. I think that's the first time that they've actually played together. And it was really interesting when the younger Waterman brother tackled um, the elder one <laughs> at one point in the game and also coming out and kicking a goal with his first kick for West Coast, which was really amazing. I think in the first 22 seconds, there was like instant impact from him. And it was just a really great game where I mean, I have so much to say about it, but so much of it, I feel, has switched in tone. And I think, as I said, the discourse of the discussion um, and also Alec kind of kicking that sealer um, as the elder Waterman bro towards the end. But yeah, I think there's just that excitement again that I've been watching and seeing with other teams that I keep thinking will happen to us has now arrived and I'm just really happy to be here. I hope it stays for a while. I think there's been a lot of discussion too about some of the players we've brought in like Sheil, Smith, Stringer, and Saad obviously who's not with us anymore, but we've actually been playing without quite a few of them for some time too. So of course, you know, because of the great game, we slid into the top eight for just a really quick, you know, I would say hours <laughs> before we were knocked out by the following games. But we did play on and kind of climb that ladder just in time for the midseason draft, of course. You know, I think there's finally some chat, though, about like taking us seriously. I was also accused of being a one-eyed supporter this week, so maybe I'm just leaning into that energy. But yeah, I have to say after the game, we called some friends and I kind of just wanted to keep my scarf on. I know this sounds so crazy um, because I'm, you know, 10,000 miles away or whatever from my team. And I was honestly weighing up whether or not it would be too obnoxious to have on because um, I don't want to like call on you know, our rivals like during the game or afterwards. But the funniest thing is that when we did FaceTime, the person on the other end of the call had their scarf on because they were celebrating. So that was kind of like a hilarious exchange. Um, I may or may not be wearing it now currently <laughs> while I'm recording this. But this weekend will be particularly interesting with dream time. Um, I do still think that we are getting the maximum value out of all of our players on the field to the point where I actually think, as I've said, some of them need a break at this point. 
and hopefully that won't happen during the game. I know we have a bye coming up too, but we really do have this attacking game plan with a dominance that kind of held off the Eagles towards even the final quarter where we just were relentless. I feel hunting out the opposition and like establishing this brand of footy that we all really love to see. It was really exciting and just kind of keeping them at arm's length so there was no way that they could make a comeback. And also, Melbourne is the real deal. I know we all keep saying that, but there was a pretty compelling victory against the Bulldogs and a pretty big fight between the two top teams. So the most interesting stat to me actually was something about the game, but kind of like on the peripheral part of it, I guess. And it was just who was alive the last time Melbourne was on a top of the table clash, basically. And Hibbard was the only Melbourne player out there who was alive the last time Melbourne won a top-of-the-table clash. He was four months old in 1990 in round seven against the West Coast Eagles. So that was such an interesting stat to me because it has been some time. And, you know, it wasn't the most exciting game, but it was nothing compared to another game that we will talk about. As for the Collingwood game, um, it was really sad to see Grundy kind of in the middle of the game um, kind of go down and we weren't really sure what happened and he pinched a nerve in his neck. So he's absolutely going to be out for a few and I'm just wishing him all the best in recovery because that is so scary for your Ruckman or for any player. Um, And I think I was just kind of watching for any medical update because it was kind of a scary... I think it may have re-triggered an actual injury he had back in 2015. But there is an extended Collingwood chat after that game. I think some of the headlines have been particularly, I don't want to say cruel, but they've called out the team for just being unwatchable. And I don't want to say it, but, you know, I'm just quoting gutless. There seemed to be a lack of intensity and a lack of effort where they just remained unchallenged on the field. And I think I was pretty skeptical too until I saw an interview with Bucks afterwards and he just talked about what their strategy was. And I guess they're leaning heavily into defense so they just just don't want to give up too many points, which I understand. But I think when I was watching the game, it was kind of like are the wheels falling off again what's going on and I'm aware of the pylon to what's happening on and off the field frankly with that team so I don't want to jump on that train it was just a really interesting kind of dissection when you watch what's happening in the game and then you kind of hear the coaches strategic analysis and kind of what he kind of actually laid his cards out on the table and said like this is kind of what we're doing. So I kind of understand it a little more and I'm just hoping for something a little different in terms of style next game for them. And Jack Rebolt had an amazing mark that was compared to some recently great, even from his team and other teams, mark of the year. So if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend just him running towards the opposition in a really courageous feat and kind of in the middle of his hanger as he's sitting on top of someone turning around and grabbing the mark 
and then kind of coming down and still somehow able to protect the ball. It's just one of those great things that we love to see. I think there's absolutely one every time, if not a few. But that one definitely will resonate, I think, for quite some time. And I do just have to say in terms of the man on the mark, I feel like the umps have really relaxed in terms of how they're going about calling it. And I know there needs to be a really tough balance. It really is hard to kind of have that congestion or open play, especially when it comes to like defense or when it comes to attacking. So I understand that it can be a tough call, but I personally think because I am for this rule and I'm a fan of it and I really think that it has changed the game in a direction that I really enjoy watching, I think there needs to be a little bit more of a clearly defined, like once someone has marked the ball, no other player can go up to the player and even touch the player that's marked it, if that makes sense. I don't think that they should even be allotted like half the time there's like a little deck or a little, you know, touch or a little push or something. I just don't think that once they've marked it, if they're not already about to fall onto the player, I think that they need to make that a 50 meter penalty because I think that I see that happening so much and they're not even getting any kind of a penalty from it. Even though in previous rounds, especially at the beginning, I think they were pretty hardcore on determining this. I just think that we need to bring more of that back or I just think it needs to be adjudicated differently. But what do you guys think about that? I mean, maybe you don't agree with me. Maybe you think that it's totally fine and it should be part of the game. Um, but I'm, I'm really curious. So aflobsessed at Gmail is my email if you want to let me know. And aflobsessed on Twitter if you just want to chat. Okay, it's intermission. So quickly during this time, let's just cut away to other sports. So the Indy 500 happened over the weekend. And in terms of attendance now, we have the top spot in terms of how many people have attended um, worldwide since COVID happened. And I think it was 135,000 in attendance for that. So that's kind of exciting. I know it's just a stat. Um, and I know when I was watching it on TV, just a little bit like kind of in the background, I did notice how packed everyone was and just how many people were there. But I'm sure that that stat will get taken away from us pretty soon. And the French Open and what's been happening with Naomi Osaka is kind of something I wanted to touch on with you guys. I think that this is a really serious kind of story. And I think something that we should be talking about more, discussing more, and kind of making some future determinations or changes. So Naomi Osaka came out before the actual French Open and had said that she had been struggling with anxiety and depression, most notably since her event where she toppled Serena in 2018. Um, and I think following that, she brought up that she's just been having, you know, some mental health struggles, which I understand comes with being a pro athlete. But she did talk about how that will change kind of her media appearances going forward. And she kind of touched on how that might be why it affects like her commitments. And so she said she wouldn't be doing media following 
the French Open and following her round when she actually won and in the first round. And I think it is a serious discussion that we need to have about, or a greater discussion at least, about protecting our athletes when it comes to their mental health. But I guess the institution kind of came back and kicked back like, well, we are going to fine you. A pretty hefty fine. I think it was $15,000. And also it's obligatory. So it is mandatory that if you are going to attend the event that you also have to do the media kind of following. And I don't know if it's just me, but I... I mean, I guess I can typically see the argument from both sides. I guess it is a business. I understand. But in my personal opinion, I don't think that every player must also be a personality, if that makes sense. I mean, I don't think that I need to see everyone's take on certain things. I understand if you have a great win, we want to kind of get your thoughts on it. I think sometimes the media can be pretty brutal when there's a loss too and the kind of line of questioning that surrounds that. But I think, you know, here's someone who is detailing and coming forward with their vulnerabilities. And sometimes I feel like we're being dismissive of it and maybe even attacking. And I feel like we just need to be more compassionate and also just really hear what they're trying to say. It's not that, you know, I hate the media or I'm never going to speak to the media again. It's just in this particular instance. And I do see with Naomi Osaka and the interviews that she does have to jump into, I guess that you're getting anxiety from that. I mean, she constantly has to answer for diversity, for race, for equality when it comes to the game itself. So I'm sure it doesn't help that not only are we not focusing on her performance, we're also asking her about a whole host of other topics that really don't seem to be relevant or matter. So she actually ended up from their response um, pulling out of the competition entirely. So she's no longer playing in the, in the French open. And I think that that's that I'm happy that she did that because I do think that, you know, she's one of the best reasons to watch it. And I do think that, you know, maybe going forward, the institution won't be doubling down because I think everyone else from the other major opens have kind of come together and said that you have to do this or you can't be a part of the competition. So I actually really want to know what you guys think about this too. Um, If you want to drop me a line, just let me know what you think and kind of what you're thinking about this particular instance. And also whether you think pro athletes absolutely have to speak to the media. I think what's actually coming to mind is a particular NFL player Um, I can't remember his name, but he did come out during an interview post game. And I think he just had one response and it was literally, I'm just here so I don't get fined to every question. I'm just here so I don't get fined. I'm just here so I don't get fined. But more broadly, too, I guess when it comes to the AFL, are there any incidences that you know of? Where, because I honestly just don't have as many like viewing years as you guys um, have been just like loving up the sport. Are there instances where someone has refused outright to speak to the media, maybe even after a game? And, you know, were they penalized for it? How did that all go down? And what maybe the specific like media obligations that AFL players are required contractually to you know, that they have to partake in before, during, after, 
a game because I always think of, you know, the quarter time or halftime pieces on the boundary when they will grab a player off of the field as their team is strategizing and the player is, you know, completely covered in sweat. Sometimes it's raining and they're just trying to catch their breath and we're still asking them about how the game is going, how the team is performing, what is going on. So I'm really curious if someone wants to enlighten me, I would really appreciate it because it's definitely something that I don't really get to see because I'm not there. But also I'm just really curious about how this is being handled really and maybe any future implications of that. So my email is aflfootyobsessed. If you want to drop me a line or AFL Obsessed on Twitter, if you want to chat. But now we're on to act two, where we have discussions about relevant footy topics and issues. And the Sir Douglas Nichols round has been happening for in the last week and also kind of spreads over a period of two weeks. So it's happening this weekend, too. It's just a really exciting round. I think it's uh, one of my favorite parts of the year because there are so many elements and layers to what the round is about and kind of what we're celebrating and really what it means. And I know we've talked about a little bit before, but Sir Doug Nichols is actually a round named after Sir Doug, who played 54 games for Fitzroy and was a pro athlete and he was the first Aboriginal person to be knighted. And he also served as a governor of South Australia and kind of devoted his life to the well-being of Aboriginal people. And so the round was named after him in celebration of all Indigenous players, you know, from the past and also current players, but also as an educational round too, because I feel like every season I learn a little bit more about the culture and the history and just kind of seeing all the little capsule um, interviews that they'll do with current Indigenous players too. I always love reading about them and I really love seeing specifically the Guernseys too that are created. So but to back that up I guess a little bit um, kind of where the round came from and how it actually started in 2005 and 2006, there was a dream time at the G round between Essendon and Richmond. And kind of following the success of that in 2007, they nominated the specific round to become an annual event, which is why we all know it as dream time at the G. It's kind of just a really exciting event. I always love when we get to this point. I'm always like, when is dream time? I always want to know the date every year. And the two clubs cemented the match's official status for the next decade in May of 2016. So from what I understand, I think Port was the first club to initiate the idea of like a gift exchange. And I think they started that in their Indigenous round with Geelong in 2013. And the idea now has been adopted widely across the comp. And last year in 2020, Rather than kind of presenting a single gift on behalf of the club, the indigenous players from each team, including the players who weren't selected for that particular round, they all brought something significant from their home country to kind of exchange with each other. And I thought that was particularly beautiful. And 
I guess it's been something that's been a part of indigenous culture for thousands of years. You know, it's not necessarily exchanging something physical, but it could be trading songs and ideas and food and just all kinds of things that are important to the culture. So this year, they've kind of gone back to the meaningful gifts and they're really powerful too. The gift that the West Coast Eagles actually gave Essendon was this beautiful painted shield that the players went to an art like gallery type place and created this gorgeous shield that kind of melded both teams together. Um, And the piece was actually like fired in a kiln and presented um, at the game. It was just this beautiful ceremony that I thought was just such a wonderful way to celebrate such a big part of the AFL. And I honestly wish that we would do something like that in our games, you know, um, where the indigenous players are just kind of the acknowledgement of, yeah, we, not that we're like frenemies, you know, but in this game, we're not necessarily, but just that acknowledgement of, you know, cultural exchange and something that I think we should do more in all sports. It was just like a beautiful um, part of the round. And every team this year actually had an indigenous person create their Guernseys for the round um, these kind of specifically commissioned artwork pieces. I know there's a little bit of controversy surrounding one particular jumper um, because it may have been a design that wasn't totally original. But if you haven't seen the Guernseys, um, you can look them up on AFL.com. You can look at each specific club's sites. Um, every year, I think they're some of the most beautiful jumpers and every year I want to figure out a way to get multiple versions of them but again I can only ever really wear one but it is something that I'm just glad that's incorporated I'm glad going forward um, it's always going to be a part of the game and it's become like this wonderful tradition that I really love to just learn about and um, it is being held over two rounds this season so you know we have a little bit more of the celebration this weekend I will say the one interesting thing was over the weekend, Melbourne wasn't able to wear their Guernsey because at the time of creation, they don't know who they're playing. So sometimes there will be a jumper clash. Um, I didn't think that there was any way that would be a particular clash. Um, I'm surprised Essendon didn't wear ours um, against the West Coast Eagles because the color for each team, like the colors actually are very different. So I don't think that anyone would have any trouble. Um, I also don't know if they wear them over two rounds. It seems like they pick one round to wear it in. So I think that we'll be seeing the Dreamtime Guernsey this weekend. But if anybody wants to let me know how that works too, I thought it was really interesting. Sometimes um, there will be a jumper clash and they're not allowed to wear it because of coordinating colors or colors that are too close but then there will be games like the Anzac Day game this year where that was absolutely a clash I'm sure from the stands and sometimes to the players themselves because there were definitely some kicks where I think someone thought they were sending that to a teammate and it absolutely went to the opposition but I'm just really looking forward to the round this weekend and more incorporations of the round and kind of going forward to where we go with that. And now it's the after show where there's only going to be six games this weekend. So the next round will actually have the Thursday night games back. Um, I do have to have 
a major overhaul with my super coach during the buys because I think I have enough trades, but my team is just all over the place. So I'll be looking to the Dr. Super Coach community, but also we'll be looking on Twitter for any kind of bits of info and advice because I really do have to do a cleanup. And in the last round, I won't say what my score was, but it was absolutely the lowest that I've ever had playing super coach. And I dropped quite a bit in rankings. Not that I was ever in contention. I feel like the first two rounds, I'm always in a good spot. And after that, I just kind of drop into the abyss, but I'm still going to continue playing. Um, I just have to do a major overhaul. So hopefully um, when we come out of this round, I'll have a very different score because I kind of have to learn about buy structure too and kind of that strategy. I don't think I really have that down. I didn't really do um, major prep or anything beforehand. So any of your tips are welcome and any advice that you have is also welcome when it comes to super coach. But thank you guys so much for just sharing a part of your day with me and really caring about what I have to say about footy and really just keeping me company. So hopefully I'm doing that for part of your day too. But that's it for me. Thanks again for listening, rating, and subscribing, everyone. Let me know what you think. And thanks for hanging around for the show. Stay safe and healthy. Check on your friends and neighbors. We'll get through this like footy. I'm virtually hugging you and we'll talk footy soon.